Introducing the D'Addario Autolock, made with locking strap ends for an easy-to-use, clip-on system. When you're done, just pull the latch and slide it off. Keep your guitar on lock with the Dario Auto Lock. Hell, fuck yeah. What's going on, everybody? This is Perry with Premier Guitar here in Nashville, Tennessee. And today we have Mike Slybon from Be Well. Um, you might also recognize him from Darkest Hour, or if you're as old as me, even Battery, <laughs> or a slew of other hardcore bands. Uh, Mike, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the old Zoom, internet, YouTubes, whatever. Uh, I'm happy to be here and talk all about Be Well, because I love guitar and, uh, you know, rapping. Hey, me too. Dude, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Be Well. I love the weight and the cost. It's so good. Obviously, you know, if you guys are familiar with the genre, I'm sure you not only know of Mike, but Brian, who is also in Be Well with him, who is, you know, pretty uh, legendary producer in the hardcore and punk rock scene. Um, what's All right, so right out of the gate, what's it like working with um, Brian in, in, in the setting of a band as opposed to, like, the studio? Is it different? Is the dynamic different? Uh, well, yeah, because when Brian is a producer, he's has his producer's, I don't want to say his producer's hat on, but... He has a certain role that he respects and he does very well. And he also can read the band that he's working with very well and kind of uh, mold himself to the situation. But being in a band is a lot different because being in a band is uh, giving up yourself in a particular way. And so I think, yes, he is a different creative character in a band than he is as a producer. But um, in a lot of ways, like all of his strengths as a producer transfer over. And, um, you know, I've been lucky enough to have a really long friendship to work with him creatively on a lot of different projects. And I think what's unique about our situation now with Be Well is uh, he has put in so much time and energy and uh, work into many Darkest Hour records. And over those years, we built a strong trust. And so, so now right. he's sort of able to take that position in a lot of ways that I had in Darkest Hour where he is like the main songwriter in, in a sense because he is the lyricist and he comes up with a lot of the core riff ideas. But it's also unique because me having been that person, I can allow him the oxygen to do that and hopefully supplement that in a way that I think not a lot of people could because they wouldn't be coming at it from the perspective of someone who's been in his position for 25 years with another band. So I think we sort of have that perfect storm uh, of uh, history that kind of leads us to be able to survive creating a band in your 40s during a pandemic in an age where <laughs> it's like hardcore. Well, there's a lot of perspective there for sure, man. Um, so I guess for anybody watching this, they might kind of associate you with like more shredder style guitars and you know esp and v's and stuff like that but for be well obviously you know you're gotta be taking a different approach to tone i would assume right well of course i mean first of all it be well is a collaborative effort with a whole different group of characters so um you know we're definitely going to be taking a different guitar approach and it's also not melodic death metal but but a lot of the things are very similar to things that i've loved over the years and 
because a lot of my playing evolved while working with Brian, a lot of the things I like, a lot of the things he likes, a lot of the things that work and be well gear-wise are, although they're not things that I've used for a while in Darkest Hour, are like at home when I'm using them in Be Well and when when he's uh, using them to create, they make total sense to me. And I mean, as we go through like his secrets and the riffs and the, the gear, uh, you'll see that there's like, there's so much of that history intertwined in what's being created now because a lot of what he's doing creatively is built on the fan foundation of his hard work as a producer and his writing, you know, cause unlike a lot of other people who start a band this late in their career after been not doing it for so long, he's been being creative and he's been writing this whole time. So it's like he's been crazy. He's like an artist who's been practicing in the studio forever. And now he's finally willing to show people his paintings. You know what I mean? So I think, uh, we're, we're all kind of lucky to, to that. He's, come back to the to the table you know what i mean in that sense hell yeah hell yeah i mean i mean the, your record is a great hardcore record I'm, I'm i'm into it i love that you know guys your age and my age for that matter are uh still giving a shit that's fucking awesome dude <laughs> that's so cool um well let's start with this guitar in your hands because that's a beautiful thing that looks like a pretty thick les paul you got there buddy this is this is a mahogany les paul it is just like every other les paul standard that exists um, this is my favorite Les Paul because this was a gift from Brian himself. And uh, oh, wow. this is the first Les Paul I ever owned myself. And uh, this is also a Les Paul that you will see if you see any photo of me playing guitar live in a band from 2000 to 2006, 2005. This would be the guitar I would be using because I didn't have a lot of guitars. I didn't have any guitar endorsements for a while. You know, I was just a guy in a band and I only liked this guitar and Les Paul. So this guitar uh, came to me on the Mark of the Judas, the first Darkest Hour record, but it's also the first full-length record that was produced by Brian, uh, and our you know our first full-length, and it was also the one produced by Brian. And so I was playing an SG at the time, and it didn't sound very good. And Brian was like, "Man, you need to play a Les Paul. Like, you know, we need, you know." And he had a cherry red one that he still has today that was definitely used on the Be Well record. Uh, along with this one and a couple other Les Pauls that have been around from the time that I'm telling you about, which is a really long time, you know. We're talking 1999. Uh, but he had gotten this guitar as the second guitar, backup guitar for his band Milltown, which had been signed to a major, which he was trying to do for real when he was living in Boston. This was sort of like what you might consider his last band before Be Well. And uh, this was the second guitar, as backup, and it was in a flood. It had this uh, uh. terrible flood damage that you can see right here. It's pulling the top of the guitar off the guitar. It messed up the front right there. And it also just sort of warped the guitar and made it just super dense. I mean, it's funny that you say it looks heavy because it is heavy. It's dense. I, I don't know yeah. if there's some physics to how a flood could, can warp and change a guitar's physical nature, but this guitar feels super heavy maybe it's partially the paint or something but also this flood darkened the tone and i think it made it so brian didn't like it i've replaced this huh. pickup this is a seymour duncan jeff beck but that was what was in the pickup when he gave it to me and that is what is my basically my go-to rock pickup although brian is a purveyor of the p90 and lower output guitar pickups he 
he's super into low gain everything uh, more about like the playing kind of an ACDC mentality and so sure. the JB is super important to the sound of this right and uh, so this is my you know be well guitar but this is also like you know my guitar man this is this is my favorite Les Paul and so if we were going to start any be well rig rundown it would be this because you know this is sort of to me the story of Brian and I's relationship you know he had a this beautiful instrument but he wasn't creating anything anything with it and then he sort of gave it to me and I that so this sort of lit my entire career as a guitar player and now I'm it's cool because we're sort of for a cir- full circle and now I'm like uh, we're in a band together and I'm using it to, to light that fire kind of thing so how cool so did the flood fuck the neck up at all not really did, no is, no did, the neck had... seems pretty dope this was recently set up by uh, the bass player for Darkest Hour who is a guitar wizard okay even though he hates them and you know this thing is in E and it it sounds like uh, you know it sounds pretty pretty awesome for a guitar who's been through so much let's see for you guitar aficionados so yeah this is uh guitar number one yeah man that's great i love uh i love how how yellowed it's gotten well i yeah that had a lot to do with the flood and the time and stage lights and stuff and that's sort of uh why i like this but if you look close you can see there's a little bit of white right there you see that by the pick See that white? It yeah. looks like a paintbrush. That is the guitar is Olympic white. That is the color that the guitar almost was that pickup color. Right on. So I'm, I'm guessing that appeared on the record quite a bit. It right? did, uh, but you know, again, we, Brian is a he's a lover of the low tone. You know, n- not a lot of gain, which is something that I've definitely come to. I I love. It took me a while because I sort of went down the the gain uh, rabbit hole, the Pantera gain rabbit hole with Darkest Hour for a while, but uh, I've always appreciated like a really strong right hand, clean Marshall guitar attack tone, you know? And so I think this really kind of helps emphasize that more than anything. So, you know, I know this guitar means a lot to you. Is this something we might see you playing in the future on Be Well Tours, or is this something you'd probably leave at home? No, I mean, if you saw any video footage of Battery, which is the band that Brian and I did uh, for a while in the 90s, and he started, and he's a hardcore legend for starting, and I'm just a super fan of whatever. We did a tour. We kind of came back out of hibernation and did a tour with uh, H2O this summer, and, uh, well, last summer, whatever it was, and uh, COVID's <laughs> rotted my brain, but... Um, we were out on tour, and I used a Gibson Les Paul Standard. It's around here, but it's been completely stripped for parts because it was really rocked, just destroyed by American Airlines and getting wet oh. and everything. So I don't. This is not something I'm. Gonna, I take on tour that much. You know, I'll play it when I can. But it's funny how a guitar will go from being the the most trusted workhorse to like so revered in a matter of seconds. But um, right. I'm experimenting with a whole bunch of other things now. Like I said, a l- little bit lower gain. Um, you know, guitars that might have P90s. Um, I also I, I love the ESP product line, so I play around with they. They have a Eclipse series that uh, is similar to a Les Paul. So I mean, really, I'm searching for something that sounds a little bit cleaner and something that stays in tune really well. Because when you're playing a guitar in a band like Be Well, 
and you don't have a locking tremolo, which is like a huge difference from Darkest Hour or a heavy metal sure. band, you really have to pay attention to what's happening. I mean, a lot of the leads, a lot of the, the, the voicings require you to play full chords, not just power chords. That means that G string needs to be in tune. So that's another reason right, why this right. guitar might not be the, the one you might see on stage next time next time. Well, hell yeah. Um, all right, so we've talked about this Gibson, but you have mentioned you know, ESP, and I know a lot of people know you as like a, an ESP player. Um, and I see a, a whole boat behind you of guitars, so what else is something we might see with B-Well? This is my Gibson Les Paul Custom. Now this one's, this one's a beautiful all black jammer. Uh, this one is a 79, okay, but it's not a 79. It was reissued in, ni in 91 as a 79 reissue, so it is a black beauty, and everybody thinks it's a 70s guitar, but it's really a 90s, which still is pretty valuable. This is the only Les Paul I have that does not have a headstock break. It, um, oh, also, I'm gonna, I just made that up. Uh, the, the white one hasn't, I haven't broken the headstock on that one either. And I, th this one is broken, so that's where, I, the white one is the only one that isn't, and this one did get broken. It just it had a really awesome repair job, so it's hard to remember, but I just, I just saw it when I did the light. But this is what I use live, mainly because I did break the neck, and now I don't feel that bad about using a Gibson Les Paul custom, you know what I mean? Um, so um, if I'm not mistaken, the, a lot of the uh, Les Pauls from the 70s had kind of a volute on the back of the headstock, right, to prevent, they were trying to stop headstock, head, headstock breakings, right? Does that one have it or is it completely flat? Um, no, it had, it looks like it's flat, but it, it didn't work because uh, it broke right away, so. How did it break? <laughs> Uh, this was this one. This one I think was leaned up against the amp. The old classic stupid move. Fucking fell off the amp. No, 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 no. It was more of a side leaner. But uh, okay, this one also has a Jeff Beck um, pickup in the bridge and a just the Gibson standard in the neck, um, and uh, it's just kind of your. You just kind of that's kind of my setup. If you were gonna like, this is uh, if I could use the time to just break down the setup. This is, these are Ernie Balls, okay? First of all, Ernie Ball is the only guitar string that I, I, I'll buy if I'm at a music store. And I know people are string allegiant. You know, I did have a, we had a, uh, Darkest Hour had an endorsement with um, SIT strings, and I didn't like them as much as Ernie Ball, and I remember, uh, like, whenever I had to go to a guitar center to uh, buy strings because the endorsement was late or something, I, I would just always buy Ernie Ball. So these are Ernie Ball, regular Slinky, the green pack, right? And we also, I also like to just buy the seven string pack of that and just keep those 56s and keep a pile, keep a pile of them because I also use those for uh, for other guitars that are in different tunings, you know what I mean? Gotcha. Um, we, I have a, see, uh, Ernie Ball endorsement, so I'm lucky enough that they'll send me the different gauges and the different things that we can play around with. So this has Ernie Ball strings, just like all the guitars have. And this is a Seymour Duncan Jeff Beck, just like all of the Les Pauls that I have have. So I think that's the two unifying features. So let me show you some other Les Pauls real quick. So I'm back now with my gold top. You know what I'm saying? Now you gotta have this bad boy in your collection if you're gonna be a gold, if you're gonna be a, like a Les Paul connoisseur. And uh, the question was uh, uh, earlier was about gauges. For the strings here sure yeah and 
the gauges that I use for Be Well, which is tuned to E standard, although I will use this time to tell everybody that Be Well plays live in E flat because we realize it's sort of a better place like for the vocals to sit. And and I think this is a huge thing about the band is there's a lot of attention paid to like how the vocals sit against the music and how they fit with the music. And so we're not afraid to dip the songs a half step and all work around that, you know. Um, so they're any we're any e flat, but the gauges are a standard set. So I believe uh, the top strings are just like what I would use with Darkest Hours. So they are 10, 13, and 17, right? And then these strings, I believe this is like a 46 a 36 and a 26 or something it's like 40 something it's pretty light on the bottom um that's, that's light that's my pack of ernie balls right there ernie ball seven string set that's what i'm telling you all to buy because you get that extra bang for the buck for that low guy when you're playing anything low but anyway uh this it's 10 13 17 like i said on the highs so that is also what i would use in drop c uh I want my three high strings to be those gauges because I want to bend and I want to be expressive with them. I know people talk about getting a wound G string to, you know, uh, keep them in tune or whatever. But to be honest, I just think that's sort of overkill. Like, I want to be expressive with the guitar. And then, yeah, 46, 36, 26. So I was right. Yeah. I, I always feel with a wound G string, it kind of fucks you up for swells or... Stuff like that too. It's it's, it's hard to bend. Yeah, it just know? doesn't have the same expressiveness. So if you're just playing chords, yeah. though, there is a reason to maybe. Or if you're only playing octaves and you want them to be super in tune, I have a guitar line around here that just only has two strings on it for recording octaves, and we just use it to oh, only wow. record octaves so that they're super in tune. It's a fucking trick. Um. So yeah, this is also also a Les Paul with Jeff Beck in the uh, bridge. But the interesting thing about this is it has the, the vintage cap. And another thing that I've done to this guitar that you're going to see <clears throat> to a lot of my guitars is I hate knobs. Okay? I hate them. I haven't, I haven't done it. I have not one knob to rule them all. Now, I have not done this with the other Les Pauls because out of respect for the white Les Paul because it's like, you know, history. And the black Les Paul because it's a black beauty and you know obviously classic this is where i draw the line though i love this gold top but i need this to be the way i want it so this is just one knob just a volume knob for both pickups and that's that's i don't really use one as a cutoff switch or anything and i constantly do this and i this is the position where i want my volume for everything not anywhere else so um i've done this with a lot of guitars just taking that out so that's volume tone for both pickups it yeah, and it's just more of like coming from that sort of like fixed gear bike mentality of like you don't want any problems when you're when you're live, you know, and That's you just true. you just yeah. want any electronics. But I do see the classic players would use the tone knob and they would get subtle with what they're doing. But for what we do, it's just more important. It's more important not to, to fuck up. Totally get it. Yeah, that's that's so gorgeous. So now I will move to one more less ball. <laughs> I'm back. Yep. This is my battery guitar R R.I.P. Oh, that it's, thing's it's, been to the It's back, been buddy. ripped apart now. It looks so cool. It looks so cool. But, um, man, this, this headstock just, it just been broke so many times and it just won't. It just will not. But, but I love this guitar. 
This was used on a lot of tours. This was a really good just beater, and man, it, it has a lot of history, but it, 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 it's not playable anymore. It's just been broken too many times, and it just, I don't know, you know, but it's cool. little piece of history. Uh, and it was probably used, it probably might have been attempted to use on the Be Well record, but it wouldn't stay in tune. And I just wanted to show up. This is a ESP LTD Eclipse, but if you notice, this is sort of like uh, my attempt to, like, bridge the gap between where I'm going with Be Well and, and ESP. I don't know if this would get used, but I think it's interesting because I put I put a slash pickup set in here, which is also Seymour Duncan. I got a Seymour Duncan endorsement, so which is interesting because with Darkest Hour, I use EMGs, but I really, really love Seymour Duncan pickups and the people over there are the best. So they, they give me different types of pickups to play with all the time. And man, that slash pickup set is so awesome. Like this neck pickup is just like, sounds so good. So uh, this guitar I've taken apart, I took the switch from out here and put it down here put the volume knob down here and there's no tone. So it's sort of like a Les Paul where you want, I don't do this cause I'm used to Les Pauls, but when you got like action and hardcore, you just don't need anything here, you know? And I like my action here, you know? Yeah, I've run into that same problem with Les Paul, Les, Les Paul style guitars. I always hit the fucking switch, man. I hate that switch And there. another thing that, that I do, this is a secret tip, is I like to break the top of the switch off, okay? Now look, that makes Neither it harder are. to move, right? But it makes it also like not hard to hit accidentally. And so it does take a little bit of getting used to while you're playing to actually get your grip on it, to get enough force to move your finger. Right. But, but it sort of like turns it into more of a recessed switch, you know? And I don't know, uh, it's just another thing that I've sort of adapted to try to just not have any because I do like to move around, jump around, and get stupid. Right. We're gonna break. We're gonna break from our our be well part of the segment for one second, just because we talked about this earlier, and this is super exciting guitar wise. So I might as well show it off. This is coming out next week from whenever this gets aired. So this is the first time I've actually like talked about it publicly, really, with anyone. But this is the Mike Schleibaum Custom LTD Arrow new for 2021 that you can buy yourself it's got my signature on the back right there and uh it is exactly Slick. like my esp custom shop that i've been playing for two or three years it is the same specs it's all mahogany uh arrow okay which makes this this is a lot different than a lot of other arrows even though it is based off of the traditional design because i fell in love with this design while on tour with the with with the arrow, so I didn't change the physical shape. It's the same radius. I did change the inlays, as you can see. They're very much like my favorite Les Paul. You know, ooh, I'm yeah. not supposed to say Les Paul when I. This is my uh -huh. favorite uh, single cutaway, and uh, got the same inlays. Got the same style binding. This is Olympic white, so hopefully it will turn yellow. Uh, this is the only ESP LTD that has a matching. Pick, a pick ring and binding, if you care about that, but it is cool. And also the only ESP LTD or custom item that has the top hat knob. So kind of just gives it a vintage look with the silver hardware, which exactly matches the 
you know, single uh, cutaway guitar that I used in the past. And, um, you know, this has the old Floyd Rose, which I love so much. Perfect Floyd Rose. And that pickup is the James Hetfield EMG. So that's my favorite heavy metal pickup. And this is my favorite heavy metal guitar. One knob, one pickup. This is it. This is the basically the Darkest Hour guitar. So And, and you can see there's a lot of inspiration from my Be Well uh, uh, Hardcore Roots. And then there's a little innovation based on the needs you would need, you know, uh, for your playing for like that style. So um, now, do, will will this guitar also feature the same contoured uh, neck joint that the the ESP models have? Oh, sweet. everything's the same, dude. It's so cool. You know, um, that's everything's awesome. the same. The pick, the placement of the knob, uh, the strap knob. That's like a little different. Uh, that that kind of sets it. But yeah, I mean, just for fun, uh, we'll show you the original. And I will tell you, we were originally going to antique these. Originally, we were going to like destroy them to kind of make them look like this. But see that one ESP? This one's been through a, like hell, though. Look at it. How about that part? How about, hey, thank you for making me an extremely custom, awesome guitar. Allow me to totally break it. Um, but you know. Is, I'm not gonna lie, this is love, but the other one stacks up good. So, that's probably too much. That's too much Darkest Hour plugging. So we gotta talk, let's talk about some Be Well. All right, so back to Be Well. Um, you know, obviously people are gonna associate you with like 5150s and high gain amps, but as you were saying earlier, Brian's kind of, you know, and I say not only Brian, but lot, most producers and any producer I've ever worked with is gonna always lean towards less gain. Uh, you know what I mean? So what, what, what amps are you using for Be Well if you're going to tour live well, right now? Or on, on with, the record? With Brian over the years, we've, uh, we've sort of experimented with all the style of Marshalls. Originally, I was an 800. I'm Marshall 800 all day long. That was my amp. That's what I swore by. I thought if you played a 900, you were crazy. And I thought if you played a JMT, JMP, you were just like a lawyer, you know, who had money. <laughs> <laughs> but but over the years I've realized that there's a lot of different colors to those to those amps. You know the J the JMP is the predecessor to the 800, so it has like a little bit more low end girth and it doesn't have all that gain possibility on the top. But but when combined with the right guitar, it can provide like a really awesome clear full rock guitar tone that might make the e the 800 seem a little bit smaller in comparison you know and ah, uh, and so brian loves the jmp you know a low gain jmp is, is sort of like the, the the standard we would go with you know uh i i love the 800 but it was maybe too gainy and uh peter our other guitar player he loves the 900 he's loved the 900 and the 900 to me is like if you're kind of going for a more kind of uh gritty like almost guns and roses kind of thing but yeah, i also point. think it's kind of a nice blend when you get the like marriage of the few of the different amps together too so um with be well we are using basically jmps i think it's jmps on the album entirely there may have been some overdub of an amp i don't, I don't know about that happened at some point that i wasn't there for but when i was there we used one marshall cabinet that i have like left in Brian's care because I think it might be the best one I have 
and um, we I believe we used the same cabinet for the whole record too, and and uh, I can get you guys a picture of that, and um, I don't have that here because Brian he likes to keep that, and then the the, the JMP we may have even used my 800, but I know we kind of played around with a whole bunch of different ones and blending them and you know right now if you guys are familiar with with brian or salad days at all you've absolutely fucking heard that jmp it's on everything it's he's got a he's got a kind of famous jmp that he's used on the strike anywhere records like all the way back and i mean and there's a i want that it. jmp it sounds... i want it he's got that jmp he's got this red les paul i mean he just has the amp he has the amps and the guitars that are on all your favorite albums dude yeah, they, yeah, I know. It's it's amazing. So that's so cool that you guys use that, uh, especially you know for a for a bit of a change of pace from what you're normally used to. You know, kind of maybe a little <laughs> scooped mids. Like a JMP is something totally different. It's all well. Mid, I mean, I, I like a full range when it comes to heavy metal sound, but the the thing about it is really getting used to the level of gain, and then and then also getting used to the fact that when Brian composes these songs, he'll he'll almost break the chordal well he does break the chordal structure up between two guitars sometimes so there'll be like different voices happening in the chords that you really want to sing in, in, in here and you're just not going to hear without a little bit of, of, of depth and clarity so I think you know a lot of what's happening is more subtle and it's based on him really wanting the, the musicality of all the chords to sing through you know and and so I'm was happy to go down whatever tonal road he was going to go down. And, you know, I have a bunch of marshals here. Um, all the photos that I'm going to give you of all the different marshals that I have that I use here. You'll see I, I don't just stick with one, you know. I have two, two, two JMPs, an 800 and a 900. is a pretty significant mix of vintage marshals to be able to decide, like, which one you like, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I guess with that... Suppose, you know, obviously COVID has fucked this all up, but once you guys start touring full time, um, if you were to take a JMP, would you compensate live with maybe like an overdrive or some sort of boost to kind of get you where you want to be? Or is that something where you would just crank the fucking we, amp and maybe use like a We've been playing with some overdrive pedals. I actually have this really cool overdrive pedal I want to tell you about real quick. Check this out. Um, so basically, I don't use... Uh, overdrive pedals that often because I do really like I want it to be as simple as possible but clearly you do have to experiment maybe to get that boost for the leads and stuff so sure. uh, I, my approach to be well as far as a pedal board and everything has been just like honestly do nothing like I want that straight Ian MacKay setup guitar amp you know clip on tuner one time before you play and that's it nothing right but uh since Brian likes to compose and layer like a beautiful symphony of swirls and harmonic layers that are happening under these songs, like if you were to mute the instruments, if you were to mute the rhythm guitars on this album, you would hear like almost like a U2 Cure record happening with a driving bass line that's super melodic. The guitars are there, but there's so much happening. And so he's been pushing me to to uh, build a pedal board to bring those aspects into the band live. And, you know, I was resistant because I think I was just totally reactionary to my vibe with Darkest Hour, which was, you know, do all these effects, do it, do it like the album, have all these different changes that you do. So I'm trying to meet in the metal and I'm making a Be Well pedal board as we've 
created the band and we've evolved. And I do have a pedal board. I do have a bunch of pedals that I use for Be Well. I'm going to tell you all about, but first I'm going to tell you about Overdrive pedals because I want to tell you all about McTurnan, Brian McTurnan, Uber Secret, number one that you got to know about. But first, this is one of my favorite Overdrives. This is Seymour Duncan Boost. Okay, yes, I am endorsed by Seymour Duncan, so whatever. But this thing will not color your tone very much, but really get you just up, get you up above everything. And I, that's what I like about it. It doesn't do too much. You know what I mean? And then this is, this was made by Matt Michael, who's the guitar player for the band Majority Rule and No Man, local guy. This is a awesome, like, I don't know, it's kind of a rat, uh, uh, overdrive, what's that, um, tube screamer kind of combo. I don't know, sort of a clone thing. It's just a little bit of gain and volume. Um, and I really like this one. He gave me another one that I've used for a bunch of Be Well practices that seemed to work pretty good. That's the same thing with like a little uh, a plus, like a compression distortion kind of boost thing that I've seen Peter uh, mess with. I mean, Peter will use both of these. So we, we like the fact that Matt's trying some new things so that we can color the stuff. And again, we're talking about using it more as like a boost than to color the sound. But... I sort of lied when I said we would never use a, you know, distortion pedal or overdrive pedal would be well because we're against gain because what we do love to use and have loved to use ever since me and Brian been hanging is the Turbo Rat pedal. Do you see this pedal? Turbo this Rat. This is the Turbo Rat. Classic. Now, the Turbo Rat, the Turbo Rat is the secret to the 90s DC hardcore metalcore birth, okay? This is the pedal that gave you Damnation AD and this is also the pedal, the Brian McTernan Rock Zone pedal. Now, a lot of you will get this, this and you'll go like, what? How do I set this thing? It sounds like bullshit. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I, I <laughs> bought one of these because every dude I saw at the time was using it. I fucking hated it. I was like, this thing sounded terrible. It wasn't until I got in the studio with Brian that I realized that, like, this is not supposed to be the driving force of the tone. This is more of, like, to color to help. A compliment, and yeah. To, not, to, really, yeah. to really bring it all together. So, the Brian McTurnan setting is this, okay? Basically. Okay, he's going to kill me, but... So, see that? Distortion all the way up. Volume just barely down. And that filter right there, right? Seems weird. Seems like counterintuitive, you know? But this drives it just with a little more bite, just with a little more color. I mean, you can see like I've drawn on there like this setting, which is probably something I did uh, at some point when I needed it to sound really different. But the reality is that like this is the setting of Mark of the Judas. This is the setting on a whole whole bunch wow. of battery records. Although Ken Olden also would be the setting on a bunch of other records Brian's probably produced over the years. Like this plus a Marshall, that setup. Plus just the Marshall on five everywhere is is just killer. And uh, if you're into like Damnation AD or any of the, the heavier bands that were a little bit more metally, the the Ken the Ken Olden setup was that bad boy. Just straight at twelve. Just straight at twelve. Now it, this sounds pretty gnarly when you do it, but uh, I love this pedal. I love the turbo rat. I got like four or five of them because I would love was convinced they all sounded a little different, but um, if I had to use a pedal to color it, a Marshall, it would be this. 
if you know I would start with this always and compare every one of those to this but this does not give me volume boost necessarily it can but it's not really the right way so that's why I haven't totally stayed with this pedal well that's a fun little trick good to know good to know all right, Mike, uh, thank you for the, uh, the rat tip there. That's a, that's a very good tip. As far as um, modulation effects, are you guys using a ton? I mean, maybe there's a little delay here and there, but what, what, what do you guys got going on as far as effects? Well, again, I, I'm on the quest to keep things simple, but Brian, he's got a vision for where he's going harmonically, so we beat in the middle. So really, the pedal board starts with, you know, I, I like to use wireless, but we're just going to start with the effect part of it um so the number one effect i think you're probably going to hear on the album is delay and i'm holding up this green line six delay pedal because although brian may use a couple different delays this pedal right here is the delay pedal i had to go make sure i went and bought another one of when we started doing this band okay because this pedal does all of the brian mcturnan tricks that he likes to do it has a tap tempo which is perfect it has the ability to save a few different ones, which is killer. It has all these knobs that allows you to turn them. So like, it, yeah, and tweak and tweeze and move the mix knob and make all sorts of fun noises. So this is the delay pedal you'd hear on any of the early Darkest Hour records he produced from us. It's also one you'd hear on a lot of the albums he produced for a long time. I mean, this pedal, I would always see the lights on. I maybe even used it. I don't know, vocals, all bass, who knows? Like, this thing gets right. used. So, um... Those things are so fucking awesome. It's it's funny that... I mean, that's got to be what Line 6 is probably most famous for, is that pedal, and it's, what, 20 years it's old? It's just awesome. And, and, you know, I have a bunch of other pedals that have tap tempo and app, whatever, but they don't have all the things that make this what I need. Because even the, the tweak and tweeze, they kind of color it, like, almost like a little chorusy, you know, just... I don't know, you can even play with that. So this is the main effect. I mean, we've talked about a boost. We've talked about distortion a little bit. Uh, I told you I used a wireless, but this would be the effects we would use, you know, this. And then also one other pedal that's super important that I never remember to use, but I'm learning to use is a volume pedal. You know why this is important, kids? Because this allows you to have this thing called dynamics, which, you know, I don't know a lot about because I've been playing melodic death metal, but is important for a band that has full-on marshals to be able to back off and have quiet parts, loud parts, things that intermingle. So um, this right here is another tool that I think a lot, it's not, you know, super sleek or going to win a bunch of awards because it's, you know, fun. But I think it's important to remind people that this plus a delay pedal gives you infinite possibilities with like swelling and all sorts of cool stuff you can do. And um, I don't know, this is a pretty cool pedal. Also has like the alternative tuner out so you can kind of like have a different routing super easy that I've seen a lot of people use. And uh, so uh, this is the only other pedal that's on the board besides all that. I don't use a noise gate or suppressor for Be Well. Uh, although, um, you know, for every other band I've ever done, I probably had to use like four. But this one, uh, you know, it's a simple it's a simple effect setup. It's simple. Uh, even though there is a lot of layering, you know, I'm going to tell you guys a secret. Brian hates chorus, period, as an effect. I mean, maybe he'll write down in the comments that's not, that's not true, 
or something. But I know that he does not like when you put chorus on anything. He also is not a big fan of the wah. Now, I know this might make it sound weird because he's a producer. You shouldn't rule anything out. But he just, stylistically, it's just like it's not his gravitation, especially if it's his band, you know? So there are yeah. effects that we don't um, really go into the to the world of because they're just not stylistically something Brian's drawn to. But I do think we could eventually use all sorts of stuff like maybe flanger and phaser, and there are other effects we could use. Oh, that tells me, that reminds me about another pedal that Brian uses that is he's done in all of his producing that we probably used all over the Be Well record, but. The funny thing about it is that I always get it wrong, so I'm gonna have to give you a photo of it. And I and I, and I swear it's a boss pedal. I think it's a super shifter, but it has the delay in it. Okay, so we're gonna show you a picture, and then you're gonna be like, "Oh, that's what was Mike was talking about." Okay, well, I'm gonna tell you this pedal is this. This is the cave-in sound, like you know when it sounds like that all that stuff's layered in, and each single note, and Steve singing along with it. You know. This is that sound hiding under there. You, you mentioned the Dead to Fall album that I produced with Brian. A lot of the layers that helped make the guitar seem heavy are layered with this pedal. So although this pedal isn't on my pedal board, this is, I think, an important pedal to mention in a Be Well rig rundown because it could be seen used for sure. I mean, I love a phase shift, and uh, we, we've done a rig rundown with Mutoid Man, of course, with Steven. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, so did uh, that, Steve talk about it? Yeah, he's got, he's actually got, he's he's got fucking two on his board. There you go. Which is so, yeah, is that, yeah. It's a great Does metal. he have two? Because that way he can do different keys without turning to mod, like turning down. Yeah, he has one that phase shifts down and one that phase shifts up, and he does all this really cool shit with so it. You already so got, you, you already got all info yeah, on your channel. It's good. If you guys haven't seen that rig rundown uh, with Brodsky, you should definitely check it out. Mutoid Man rig rundown. It's, it's super fun. Yeah, man, those are great tricks. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and run us through your guitars. I'm super excited about your signature arrow, dude. That's awesome. Dude, well, everybody get online. Get yourself one from the uh, you know ESP dealer of your choice, Musician's Friend, Sweetwater. Like, you've got to buy it through a distributor, but it helps me when people buy it. And... Uh, it, it's cool to see them making a guitar that isn't flat black or uh, a random wood grain. You know, it, I right. think it's pretty specific to heavy metal players, but there's a lot of classic influence there. And I think, you know, people who love that style of guitar, as I do, will enjoy the guitar a lot, you know. Hell yeah. All right. Well, Mike, before I let you go, uh, I, I think it's, it's worth noting that... Um, you know, obviously you've had a super successful career playing in bands, but you do a lot of compositions for like uh, TV and stuff. Like I was watching um, <laughs> randomly uh, a show on Iwo Jima and I saw your name in the credits and I was like, that can't be the same, Mike. Like there's no fucking way. And then I started digging a little bit and it turns out you've done a shitload for Discovery Channel and Nat Geo and all that stuff. So what's your process with that stuff? Uh, like. That's just all in studio, obviously. Uh, what are you using for that? Well, stuff? Um, I'm a lover of Pro Tools. That's pretty much what I grew up learning as far as like a DAW uh, workstation or whatever. Um, I basically, I, would we, I wouldn't say mentored. Yeah, I would say mentored. In, uh, interned, swept the floor over at Salad Days for years trying to copy everything Brian did. For years he tried to like, figure out how to teach me the shit so he could go home at five and I could do do what I need to do. But, <laughs> you know, I, I, no one can do it as good as Brian. And 
you know, I've got a unique set of talents, so let's just put it at that. Either way, uh, I learned a lot about Pro Tools, and at the same time, my wife is heavily immersed in the Washington, D.C. production scene because we have a huge uh, collision of, like, uh, National Geographic, Discovery Channel, the Smithsonian Channel, all here in D.C. making content. So um, it's just the thing that happens in D.C. And since I happen to be a person who can compose in Pro Tools, I found my way into these projects. And so I use uh, Pro Tools 11 and 12 to import video and compose to. I like to use Contact, Reason, all sorts of, you know, uh, Superior Drummer, uh, Guitar Rig. I mean, anything... Uh, when it comes to like making music for a television show, um, I'm a complete mercenary. I have zero opinions except for I want to get paid and I want the person creating the show to like it. Mainly because um, I know that when I'm in, in when I have the vision creatively, I don't want people that stand in the way. I want people that add and push it forward. So if I'm making music for a television show or something, I'm not coming at it like you know it would be cool. I'm coming at like what's your vision. How do I emphasize right. that? So I think I've done well in the the world because I don't have the impulse to like want to interject a creative idea in the same way some people do. So I found myself getting a bunch of these projects that were you mentioned the flags at Iwo Jima. I also did one about World War II veterans that came to see the monuments for Smithsonian Channel. I did a bunch of stuff for Shark Week. I've done a bunch of stuff <laughs> about like uh, following the photo. Uh, Something like follow the photo, story behind the photo for Nat Geo. I did a Marilyn uh, uh, Charles Manson documentary. Uh, that was pretty interesting. Uh, I think probably the 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 creepiest thing I ever did was was it wasn't about Iwo Jima, but it was a, about uh, the bombing of the the end of World War II when we dropped the atomic bomb, and they had to have these soldiers basically. American soldiers, the deal was we don't know what we just did, this atrocity, we're going to have to send some soldiers in there to study the radiation to figure out what happened. So part of the peace oh, wow. treaty is we're going to send these these soldiers, these American soldiers who think the war is over, we're going to send them to where we dropped the bomb and we're going to make them with Geiger counters and video cameras document everything, you know, so that we as Americans won't be charged with war crimes and we can help them rebuild their nation after we destroyed it. So the entire show, oh, it's History in HD, that's the show. And the entire show is they take the GI's cameras that were on 35 millimeter and they develop them into HD. And so I was quested with the task of, hey, can you add some really droney, eerie, somber, crazy music to this HD footage of the first atomic bomb being dropped we're going to give you hours of the footage and we want you to sit at your house and compose it and send it to us. I almost lost my mind because it's horrific footage. It's awful. And then when you start putting like music to it, it becomes so emotional. And it was just like, it was a really tough show to make. And I'm like sitting there thinking like, I'm making documentary shit. Why is this so... Uh, emotional and you know history can be emotional and those shows can be and it's hard to realize that because you know you just want fast action tv so um i i love that i've had a chance to dabble in that and explore that and it's been a good crutch to when the band shit wasn't making a lot of money but i'm definitely focused on the bands and and you know the VRL record that's coming out and uh i basically do this band in in, in darkest hour and 
and then that's it. Try to be a dad, so. Shit, Mike, you're the busiest man in show business, dude. <laughs> well, thank you again so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, you guys gotta go listen to The Weight and the Cost right now. It's freaking awesome. And also, we got another full length coming out from you guys uh, sooner than oh, later. Oh yeah, right? well, Be Well is adapting to the times. We're gonna be figuring out what to do, but like everyone else, we sort of had to readjust to the way COVID hit, you know? And uh, one thing that I know we have enjoyed doing, even though this has been sort of dark times, is we, we love to get together. We have a band practice at least once a month, even though we have to follow like all the guidelines, like wear a mask, like talk to each other about who's doing what. Everybody's been pretty safe, and our hot, biggest risk is usually getting together when we do. And, um, you know, we're trying to follow the rules and is find a way to get together while we can. And uh, yeah, we have been writing music, in fact, I'm in shocked with the level of not only quality but volume of songs that we have and ideas that Brian's been able to push out. And I, it's hard because your impulse is to not want to cannibalize off this great album that you've put out. But at the same time, like as an artist, all you all you want to do is put the next one out. Like who cares? We, right, like right. we already put out. You know, we already put out that painting. You guys can stare at it all day, but we're over. What are we supposed to do? You know, Be Well isn't like uh, uh, other bands where the driver for merchandising and imagery and their social media and stuff is like, oh, they make some music and then they get to live the life. I mean, we're sort of like the complete opposite where we like all we do as people is create this music. And what we really love is hardcore punk, you know, and, and when yeah. it's hard to do when you're in your 40s and in 2020 so what is even what is even that you know what i mean true hardcore <laughs> yeah. punks are going to wrestle with what even that idea is you know so uh sure. we just kind of like are are destined to do regardless and i think that's why the albums are are honest and i think inside the genre that's going to resonate with a lot of people because uh that's the best hardcore music is that you know oh i couldn't agree more man well, again, thanks for your time. You guys, make sure to subscribe and follow all that fun shit. Um, go listen to that new Be Well record. Uh, go like and subscribe to all their shit online, as well as uh, Darkest Hour. And if you're a hardcore kid and you're young, go listen to Bad yeah, Oh, yeah, and follow, follow all those bands on Spotify, too. I know people talk uh, a lot of opinions about whether the, the, the royalty counts matter or not, but Spotify is an awesome way for us to have been reaching new people and anytime people add us to their playlists or they follow us on that, it really does like maybe even more than on your Instagram and on your Facebook making a post about this band you love. So uh, one thing that people can do they don't even know about is follow the band over there on Spotify, share it. We do realize you could do a lot more for the band if you buy one of these millions of variants and t-shirts we have. But um, <laughs> but the music is what we love the most and we think is the most valuable thing we have to offer. And uh, Spotify is a medium to get to, to people that don't have it. And the most important thing to us is like connecting with people with the band. And so we encourage people to use that medium regardless and share the band, experience the band. And we're going to continue to make music and put out all sorts of crap for you all to buy whenever you want, you know, through the through all the avenues we have for that. Well, hell yeah, guys. You heard the man. Do it now. We'll see you guys later. Thanks so much.